Turn, if you would, to John chapter 14. There's one verse that I want to read there. Uh, Before I do, let me just give you a a little bit uh, more, but you'll you'll turn there. I'm going to read that one out loud. A couple of verses are going to be on the screen. That kind of sets up why Jesus said this that he said in John 14. Because throughout the scriptures, we see that the Lord has a heart for orphans and those that might be defenseless and those that might be helpless, those that, that uh, need protection not to be left when they're left alone. Psalm 10 is one of those verses, one of those cha- uh, psalm that says this, verse number 14, it says, but you see the trouble and grief they cause. You take note of it and punish them. Talking about those who come against orphans and helpless. The helpless put their trust in you. You defend the orphans. Verse 17, Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Surely you will hear the cries and comfort them. You will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed so mere people can no longer terrify them. So that's a psalm that talks about the Lord's heart for orphans, people that are left alone. James 1.27 will also be on the screen. It says this, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. So Old Testament, we hear it. New Testament, we hear the heart of God for those that are orphaned, those that are defenseless uh, for us as a people to visit them. Psalm 68 kind of goes a little bit beyond just the orphan a little bit beyond it, and really just speaks to people in any kind of situation where they feel uh, like they're not part of a community. With, the, with their orphan heart in mind, Psalm 68, five through six says, talking about our God, he's a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. So you hear what the heart of the Lord is. He, he, he has a heart for people to be in community for people to be in families, for people not to be alone, not to be defenseless, not to be helpless. The heart of God is for people to be in a place of protection where they're covered and they have guidance and they have wisdom and are given wisdom, being taught and raised up to be mature and capable and able to uh, live out life uh, according to the manner in which God gave, uh, for the reason God gave us birth. I I believe it's, it's the biblical understanding, or at least certainly the cultural understanding of the position that orphans are in, that Jesus said what he said in John 14. Um, Because in that time here, we have systems to help children. We have systems, again, foster care systems. People can be be put into positions and places and, and families, even though it's not their own. And in sometimes it's, uh, it may be temporary community, but there's manners in which our country, which, which people can be placed in places of, of safety. And that wasn't the case during the time of Jesus. If parents died or for some reason or another, if a parent, parents uh, abandoned the children, the children literally were orphaned. Someone had to come along and decide that they would care for their children. They were their child. They were left with all of the uh, vulnerabilities that could come to someone who has been orphaned. Jesus knew that the disciples understood that because they lived in that culture. They, un- they knew what it meant 
for children among them to be left without parents and left without protection, left without defense. They understood that. And so Jesus is going along now. He's been on the scene three and a half years uh, at the least. And he's, he's, getting, he's in his last week. As a matter of fact, John 14 is part of a section that begins in John chapter 13. Jesus starts out in the upper room where he tells them what's going to happen. They do the, the Lord's Supper, or the Last Supper that we, that we call it, washing feet, etc., preparing to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. So he's letting them know. Now, he's already told them time and time again that he, he's not going to stay on earth forever. He's not going to stay on earth forever. He says, I came to ransom lost people. He, I came to do the will of the Father. I'm here to do what the Father has sent me to do. He says, listen, they're going to they're gonna do this to me. They're going to kill me. They're going to destroy me. But in three days, I'll rise up again. He's been saying all of those things to him. But now we're, getting, we're approaching the night on when all of these things are going to begin to take place. And so beginning in chapter 13, all the way through uh, up until the time they go to the Garden of, of Gethsemane, Jesus is letting them know, I'm, I'm leaving for sure. This is, this is what's going to happen. And in some cases, he even indicated to them, it's going to happen this particular night. So he understands now what they're going through because it's, it's sinking in. They don't understand everything. There's a lot more that they need to get. And some of it they don't get until after uh, the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. Then they understand a whole lot more things. As a matter of fact, they refer to things that Jesus said before he was crucified. But he's realizing that they're getting it. That he's really telling us that he's not going to be here. And you might remember in John chapter 14, earlier in this book, uh, Philip asked, well, Lord, where are you going? Where are you going and, and why can't we go? Why, why can't we go with you? So, so there, he's realizing that they're getting it. He's going to be gone. And that's why he says this verse in John chapter 14, verse number 18. It says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Does that make sense to you? Do you get it? They know what it's like to be orphaned. Jesus recognizes they're feeling like now when I leave them, they're going to be orphaned. And so Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. Now, here's what I need to unpack before I give you the total explanation of him coming to them meant. Because this is what the Lord points to. And though he's spoken about this, they haven't totally got it all yet. And in chapter 15, chapter 16, he talks about more. He's already let them know that it's God the Father who created us all. It's because of him that we have natural life or what we call bios life, biological life. They also have the understanding that it's because of Jesus coming dying on the cross, taking our sins or preparing to die on the cross in this particular passage, they also understand it's through what he's going to do that we, have, that we can have eternal life. They understand that. What he's going to unfold to them and more so, which he started in chapter six of John, is that it's the spirit that comes to you that gives you this new life. In other words, even when Jesus died on the cross and said it was finished, Everything needed for your salvation and my salvation, it was absolutely done. There was nothing else that needed to be done. 
But yet we needed the spirit of God who is life to come into our hearts and our minds. And so Jesus, when he makes this declaration, he's letting them know, I am coming to you. I'm coming back to you. I'm going to be with you just like you see me now. I'm still going to be with you, but in the form of the spirit. And this is what Jesus says in John chapter six, I believe it's verse 63. And this should be on the screen. It says the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. Now, I want you to understand this, what he's saying. He's not saying human effort can't build a house or human effort can't build a car. Or human effort cannot uh, create uh, light bulbs and electricity and, and make things. Human effort can do that. That's not what he's referring to. Because this is what he is referring to. When it comes to eternal life, nothing we do on this earth can accomplish that. That is not coming from us. That's why whenever we use the term born again, the the Greek uh, construction of that means to be born from above. So if when we give our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens to us the very moment that I confess that Jesus Christ, that he's died on the cross for my sins, as Todd so eloquently talked about in his baptisms, I repent of the mindset that I had instead of being one against God or not wanting God or not living a life for God and with God, I repent of that, I turn, I see Jesus as a Lord, I see him as a King of Kings, I want him as my Lord and Savior, he has died for my sins, I confess I need Jesus. The moment you do that, the spirit of God comes in your life and you're born again. That's only accomplished by the spirit, not by human effort. Titus chapter three, verses four through six says this. When God, our savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Watch this. Not because of the righteous things we had done. No matter how good we are, nothing we done that was extravagant or extraordinarily good brought about this salvation. But because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's being born again. That's being washed anew. That's being cleansed from our sins. That's the spirit of God coming into our life. And it's because of the spirit of God is in our life that we've all been made anew. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, let me just tell you how important this is and I'll I'll move on. Uh, Because there's a portion of Romans chapter eight, verse number nine, that says this. It says, you are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. If you have the spirit of God living in you, you've been born again, You're controlled by the spirit. We now live by the spirit that's in us, Christ in us. But then Paul thought when he was writing to the Roman church, you know, I better make a statement here just in case somebody's missing it because this next line is in parenthesis. It was almost like this is not what I was going to say, but I think I better say it because he says, and remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. That's, that's, that's critical. He's saying if you don't have the spirit of the Lord living in you, then you don't have Christ at all. 
So uh, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but it's, it's a good little tip when you're talking to people and, and you ask them, hey, do you, do, you know, do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Yo, well, yeah, I, I know he died on the cross. Is the spirit of the Lord living in you? If they say no, man, you got somebody right there that you can help them understand Jesus. Because you can't say, yes, I have Jesus, but no, I don't have the spirit of the Lord living in me. You can't say, yes, I'm saved and don't have the spirit. You can't say, well, I know what Jesus done for me and man, I think that's great and not have the spirit of God. Are you following me? If you don't have the spirit of God living in you, you're none of his. Turn to your name and say, you gotta have him. You gotta have him. You gotta have him. I mean, this is... Man, this is better than Cold Stone. You know Cold Stone, you can get to gotta love it and, and all. You gotta have them. This is better. Better than Cold Stone. Tell your neighbor, better than Cold Stone. Now, so here's, here's, here, here's the issue. I'm, I'm in my message now. No more messing around. Bad pastor. So here's the issue. The Spirit of the Lord comes in us to make us new. But that's not the only reason he sends him. We need him beyond that. Because here is, here is the issue. We need to know what God's plan is for our life. We need the Lord to help us make decisions. We need the Lord to help us in times of difficulties and challenges. We need to know what is it that God would say. Now, I don't know anybody in here that has the entire Bible memorized. Is there anybody who's got the whole Bible memorized? Because I will put in my resignation right here in front of everybody right now. We don't, we don't have the whole Bible memorized. Many of us don't have the whole New Testament memorized. But this is what we know is, is the guidance for our life. This is what we know where we get truth. This is where we know we get principles and value for living. When we need to know things and hear things and understand what do we do in this life, it comes from this. I was sharing with one of the brothers who actually comes to uh, first service, him, him and I, where we just happened to connect at the, at the Starbucks, and he was talking about someone that was coming to him for some advice. And when the person came to him for advice, he said to him, now I want your advice on this, but I don't want, I don't want you to tell me nothing about what God says. So his response was to him, the only thing I know to tell you is what God says. You don't need to know what I say and what my opinion is because it could, it could be, why? Can I just tell y'all something? I'll confess it right here in front of all of y'all. Tyrone P. Jones is not that smart. I'm not that smart. The wisdom that I need and you need comes from the almighty God. That's what we need. And it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us when we don't have all the scripture memorized, when we don't know everything that he wants us to know or we want to know or we should know, it's the Holy Spirit that does the teaching for us. Am I talking to the right church? We need a guide. Many of you have taken trips where you figured no matter, no matter what it was, you thought the best thing would be a guide to help you. When V and I went on our honeymoon to, to Greece, I knew we were going to do we were going to walk the, go the route that Paul went in the scriptures uh, in Greece to Athens and Corinth and Philippi and Thessaloniki and all those different places. Now, as much as I know about Paul's journeys, much research as I've done, much reading I've done, I knew that that trip wouldn't be as good as it could be if we didn't have a guide. 
So, so by getting a guide, when we got to certain places, when I go to Philippi and I remember, of course, from the scripture, know from the scripture, G, Paul was in the Philippian jail and, and, and these are the things that took place there. It's the guide who says, but here is exactly where this jail is. And here is the roads, these same stones that Paul walked down. And this is where the guy who lived next door to the jail lived. It's all of those things that make it come to life because you have a guide. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us in life because you're going to go over some things and some issues. And, 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 and I, you know, I'm 55 years old, so I've, I've lived, I live pretty good. I mean, I got maybe 40 more years ago here on earth. I think 40, 94 seems like the year. I think I'm going to live to 94, baby, just so you know. But, but I think 94 is a good year to go home. But, but, but in the meantime, in these 55 years, I've ran into some situations that I ran into before. And just when I thought that I'll do the same thing I did before, I hear the Holy Spirit say, no, 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 no. How about we do it this way this time? Because every situation we run into in life, it's not all cookie cutter stuff. Life is full of challenges. Can I tell you parents something? I'm way off the sermon now, but y'all hang with me. Can I tell you parents something? If you got eight kids like we got, you can't treat all them kids the same. They all need different wisdom, different instruction, different guidance. And it's the same with life. We need different direction and wisdom and guidance and advice. And we need that from the spirit of God to help us. Y'all doing all right? And so this is what, this is what uh, uh, Jesus said. He said, I'm going to ask a father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. We, we hear the same thing in, in John 15, 26. But when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. And then he says it again in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I stayed here, basically, the only people that I can help are those in front of me. And we know some of those disciples are going to get scattered and go to different places. He's saying, it's not good for me to stay here. Because I can only help those who are in front of me. But he says, but so it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And so Jesus is saying, I need to go away. Because it's not just these 12 disciples that I'm in front of that I'm helping. There's going to be millions of people who come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ who all need his help. And listen, although Israel might be a good place to live, all of us ain't flocking to Israel. And even when we get over there, we're probably not going to find Jesus in the flesh, just so you know. But, but wherever we are, the spirit of God is a helper to us. Am I talking to the right church? Now, he used a word there. He said another, he, another helper. In the Greek, they use the, the word another is used two different ways. Sometimes in the English, we read the word another, and in the Greek, it's heteros, meaning different kind, different. Sometimes when, when they read the word another in the Greek, it's allos, meaning the same kind. Jesus says, I'm going to give you another helper. Now, let me illustrate that. If, for example, if I gave Todd... If I gave Todd this apple, and Todd got that apple, and it's okay, Todd, for you to eat the apple, and Todd started eating that apple, and then Todd says, can you give me another piece of fruit? If he said the word heteros, then he's telling me he wants another piece of fruit, 
but not the same one that I gave him. He wants another piece of fruit. So I would give him a banana. That's heteros. But if he says, can I, I like that fruit. Can you give me an alos of that fruit? He's saying, I want the same fruit that I already had. So I would give him an apple. Are you following me? Jesus said, I'm going to give you another helper. And he says, I'm not going to give, he's not saying, I'm going to give you a heteros helper, that I'm going to give you something different than what you've already experienced. He says, I'm going to give you alos, the same thing you already experienced in me. So what Jesus is saying to them, when I send the Holy Spirit, I'm not sending you something that's foreign, that you don't know. It's the same me that's coming to live in you. Can you say amen to that? And so he said, he uses this word. Now, some, I didn't say this and I'll back up. Some, some uh, translations say helper. Some say advocate. Say, some say comforter. Some say um, uh, advocate. Did I say that already? Advocate, helper, comfort. Uh, John 14, 26 is really clear. Same meaning, uh, paraclete, but it translates out to the word comfort. Um, comfort. Now, in, in, in the Latin, that word is comforte. Now, some of you that, have, that know piano, play piano, you know that the, the, um, the real name for a piano is piano forte. Piano forte. Piano soft sound. Forte strong sound. If you read music, you read piano music, uh, it may have PF depending on where, where it's located, or it may just have, have an F for forte. And, th- and this is what it means. When you're playing the piano and soft sound is... But then when you get to a forte, it's... Boom, 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. Piano. Forte. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. You play it hard. Listen to what Jesus is saying. I'm coming to you as a comforter. Come forte. Listen to what Jesus is saying. I'm not coming to you. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you with strength. Forte. I'm coming with strength. So whenever we're in the middle of battles, whenever we're, we're things are raging, whenever we're in the middle of challenges, you can call on Jesus and don't expect him to come through. Tiptoe through the tulips. He ain't coming that way. When Jesus comes, it's boom, 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 because he's coming with strength. Am I talking to the right church? So let me just give you three things here. They say I got seven minutes on that doggone clock back there. Seven minutes. So let me, just, let, me just, let me just give you these three things. What we need to do as believers in anything, any situation we're in, we need to pray for his strength. We need to pray for his presence. We need to pray for him to come. That's why he's with us. Short story I'll give you in Acts chapter 4. The disciples, now Jesus has come. He's resurrected. He's ascended. He's poured out the spirit of God upon, upon them. And they're out there evangelizing. They're doing the work of the Lord. They're sharing the gospel. They're doing what Christ told them to do. But there's religious leaders that's against them. We see that right away, actually, in Acts chapter 3. It begins 
Religious leaders are against them. In Acts chapter 4, they've went and got the disciples that are there in Jerusalem, and they've taken them, they've questioned them, they've threatened them to throw them in prison, threatened to kill them, all that kind of stuff. Somebody with wisdom speaks up and says, listen, is this, this is up the Lord. You're not going to stop it. You're not going to stop it. If this is of God, you're not going to stop it. You can threaten them, you can do these things, but you're not going to stop it. They were convinced that they were probably right, but this is what they said to them. I don't want you no more. We're going to let you go. I think they flogged them in chapter four. If not, it was chapter five. And let them go and says, you're no longer to preach in the name of Jesus. Well, they knew that was a conflict for them because they were sent to do that. They were the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their mission is to go out and declare Jesus to the world. So they even went on to say, who are we to obey? You are God. We, this is why we're here. This is what we need to do. And, but they realized that they needed strength to keep doing this. So verse number 31 says this. They all gathered in a community after a gathering after they were uh, uh, either flogged or, or severely uh, punished by the religious rulers. They got together into, in a house. And here's what the scripture says. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And watch this. And continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Why? Because they call for the presence of God. Not, not for them to go into fear. They, they, they could have went into fear. They could have went into doubt. They could have went into second guessing. Is this really worth it? What if they really do kill us? I'm going to leave my children behind. What about my career? Those things. So, so, the, so that they didn't go into all that doubt and fear, they called for the presence of God. And the Holy Spirit shook that place and they continued to do the things that God wanted them to do. Here's the second thing. We need to walk in step with the Spirit. When the Spirit of God gives us direction, and and that's pressing in, obviously. That's praying. That's seeking Him, asking Him for help. And so many times, I think, oftentimes, when we go through crises in our life and things that feel like is overcoming us, or even just decisions, or or, um, things that we need help with, oftentimes... The first thing that we need to do, listen, I get it. We all got friends. We all got people we can turn to and, call and talk to. But can I tell you something? The first person we need to call on is the Spirit of God to ask him for help. He'll give us direction. He'll give us wisdom. He'll tell us what we need to do. And let me just say this while I'm on the subject, and, and I wish I had more time. The Spirit of God will never tell you to do anything that's counter to the Word. The Spirit of God will never tell you to do anything that's counter to the Word. When people come to me and, and say, you know, they're in some relationship with somebody that's not a believer, and they come to me and say, Pastor, will you marry us? Well, can I introduce, introduce me to the person? Is the person a Christian? Well, no, they're not a Christian, but the Lord told me to marry them. Eh. Wrong answer. The Spirit of the Lord ain't going to never tell you to do something that's contrary to the Bible. And can I say something to folks who are going through marital trouble? The Spirit of the Lord will never tell you to go down and get a divorce if it's contrary to the Word of God. Good preaching, pastor. Good preaching. You all right? You got to listen to the Spirit. He'll tell you the truth. That's John 16, 13. But he'll also guide you. Acts 16, 6 through 10. Paul and Silas, I think this is a second missionary journey. I should have check that, but they're out on a missionary journey. Paul's determination is we're going to go to this particular place to preach. I think this is on the screen, verses 6 through 10. They're heading one place, but the scripture says, but the spirit of the Lord preventing them from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So they decided to go through Mycenae and then on to Bithynia, but then again, 
The spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went through Mycenae on the Troas. And then that night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave from Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us there. Paul put himself in a position, spirit of God, direct us. Where do you want us to go? Spirit says, nope, not here. Nope, not here, but go right here. And that's what the spirit of God will do. Now, this is the last thing. You look for him to be when, where you need him, when you need him to be. You look for him to be where you need him, when you need him to be. I cannot tell you how many times I've went in certain meetings, and I was a little concerned about how the meeting was going to go. You know one of the things I say, Holy Spirit, go ahead of me. You get there before I get there. You work on the heart of that person before I even get there or change that situation or whatever the case may be. You can look for the Holy Spirit to be where you need him to be, where you need him to be, when you need him to be there because he is in you and with you and for you. I love this passage and I'll wrap up with this little bit of historical background that Moses and the children of Israel, which I'll talk about next week in Hebrews 3, Moses, the Lord has called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt almost 2 million people. He's telling them to go to Canaan land. Moses doesn't know much about Canaan land. Got 2 million people that he's got to lead. God is telling you just take it step by step and I'll guide you through. And basically Moses has all kinds of fears, all kinds of doubts. He's not really sure how all this is going to work out. He has no idea how he's going to get from this place to that place with all these people going through different lands and nations and facing different armies. He doesn't know. And so the Lord tells him this. He said, this is what I'm going to do in his verse. It's actually in chapter 13, verse 21. The Lord basically says, I'm going to go ahead of you and I'm going to guide you during the day with the pillar of cloud. And he provided light for them at night with the pillar of fire. Listen to what the Lord is saying. If you hear me and you follow me, I'm going to guide you. He puts the pillar of cloud over them to show them where to go and also to protect them, the cloud over them. But then that same cloud at night turns to a pillar of fire. So this is what the Lord is telling Moses. When you see the cloud moving, you go. When you see the cloud stop, you stop. When you see the fire moving at night, you move. When you see the fire stop, you stop. That's how I'm going to lead you. So Moses says, I got that. But then they get into a situation in, in Acts chapter 14 where all of a sudden they've been moving, but now here comes the Egyptian army pressing on them now. And of course, they're moving faster. They're in horses. They're not moving two million people. Moses has got one huge heck of a camp that he's got to move. And here comes the children of Israel. I mean, here comes Egypt on the children of Israel. But it's something about the Spirit of God that not only leads us, but also protects us when we need protection. And I want you to notice this, that when the Egyptian army got close, the Lord in chapter 14, and that might be on the screen, the Lord gives direction to Moses and says, you keep going this way. That's where the cloud is. You keep going this way. You keep following the the, the pillar of fire. And then he tells Moses, you keep going this direction. And then the Lord moves behind them and places that fire in between Israel and Egypt. Why does the Lord do that? Because the scripture says the Egyptians now can't see the children of Israel because they're moving forward because the same God that leads is the same God that protects and keeps the enemy from off our back. Because oftentimes we're going in the direction God wants us to go, but then there's all kind of stuff behind us, past sins and past failures and past fears and past doubts and things 
things where I messed up and accusations and folks who don't like you and folks who's coming after you. And the Spirit of God says, you keep following me and I got this. I'll take care of the backside because that's how the Spirit of God works in our life. I'm telling you, you need him. You need him. You need the helper. You need 